It is uh, pretty stinking good to be here this morning. I'm, uh, I'm used to sitting down um, just because I'm lazy, basically, and uh, so I'm going to sit down this morning. Uh, but uh, I am excited to be here um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, just to, uh, to celebrate with you all about what God is doing at Stonebridge. I've known David uh, for a long time, and... Um, I remember him uh, going to uh, going to Riverstone back in the day and, 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 and dreaming about this and having conversations with him about, about one day, one day, and it was way out there having no idea what it was going to turn into, and then to be a part of the conversations with him about how about starting Stonebridge, and I don't know why I put Brandon on the team to help start this uh, by God's grace and love, I guess. I don't really know why. I'm still thinking, processing that. But um, I guess Amy was on it too, so that helped to kind of balance, I guess. But, um, but seriously, just to watch what God is doing here. So I think what I want to say as we begin this morning is simply this. I want you, uh, I want you to be aware uh, of the way that God is moving here at Stonebridge. You know, I know it, we are at Vintage. We're about, we're literally, we've been meeting now for about six months in the space where we are, which is up in off Cedar Crest Road, Ackworth, Dallas area. And, and, I, and I reached this point back in December where I was just so overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed with life. I was overwhelmed with this this huge thing that we were doing, at least in my own eyes, the Vintage 242, and I looked ahead of me and I saw all of these major mountains, right, that we, I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to get to that mountain and then get over it, and there's a bigger one even further behind it, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed, and, and I felt like I got to set before the Lord one time, there's a scripture in Psalm, I think it's 72, where it says, all of this was oppressive to me until I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. And so I got before the Lord. I got before him and said, Lord, I'm just so oppressed. I'm so overwhelmed. And he says, look how far you've come. And I did this. I just looked back and went, oh, my goodness. Just to see where we were. I mean, I've been doing college ministry for about 11, 12 years, something like that. Got into adult ministry. Why do I do that? I don't know. The college schedule was pretty fantastic. I'm not going to lie, right? I mean, a couple of, about three or four months off a year is great. And we got into adult ministry and, and it got up here, and all of a sudden I looked back, and I just looked at how far we had come and all the things that God had done, and I was able to celebrate with Jesus the excitement that he had in his own heart for what he was doing with Vintage. And what I would say to you this morning, as you look back, I don't know how long you've been here. Some of you have been here from day one. Some of you have not. But the reality is, is God is doing great things here at Stonebridge. We want to be, we're excited about that. I'm excited I'm excited for the reason that I get to follow David and ask him exactly what did you do wrong so I don't have to do that, right? And we get together with him literally about once a month, and we just sit there and just pelt him with questions. You know, David always has an answer, right? And so he came and just gave us all the answers. And so it's been a really, really exciting thing to that vintage, but also to watch as Stonebridge has kind of gone to new and exciting places. And so with that, I want you to be excited about what God is doing because God is on the move. At Stonebridge. And some of you may just have to look back and look at all the mountains you've already crossed through the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the life of your church. And so with that, let's jump in this morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, actually my, my mother-in-law, this hot woman right there in the back, she, uh, 
she was uh, she got, had the opportunity to go to uh, to my daughter's book fair up at their elementary school. Now my my youngest is five, and she is in kindergarten. My oldest is Anna Catherine, and she's seven. She's in first grade, and and they both really like to read. Anna Catherine is like way up here in fourth grade level of reading, and so. When, when Yaya got to go to the book fair with them, she had, to, she had to like fork out a lot of cash, y'all, right? Because my daughters, I mean, literally, they see a backpack and they think all my books can fill this up, right? And so they're just like pulling out books and you know, she's just great. She's buying all these books and they're shoving them into the, into the book bag and they get home and they're like, like this walking home sweating because their book bag is so heavy. And we're like, what is wrong? We're like, I got all these great books. And they start pulling them out, you know, and they're just, like, oh my gosh, and they're so excited about the book fair. Now, how many of you remember book fairs from elementary school? Do you remember those? Now, it took me back. When, I, when, I, when they're pulling these books out, I start remembering. Now, when I, when I went to book fairs, I, it was kind of the, the usual suspects for me, the books that I was drawn to. The first one was always the sports section, right? I'd always walk over to the sports, and I'd read about the biographies of these great athletes and of course, being a Bulldog fan, I was always perusing for Georgia Bulldog stuff, right? And I'd always try to find stuff about Herschel Walker. You know, I was probably wearing my shirt back in the day that said, hold on, Vince, I'm coming, right? I had one of those shirts, you know. And every day, I wore, every day I wore this, literally every day, it was kind of gross, but I wore this Georgia shirt every day to school because I was an avid Bulldog fan, right? It's like I just remember, if you first grade from me, that was 1980 of you Bulldog fans. You know what that meant? Herschel Walker National Championship. Let's give a moment. Yes, right there. All right. So anyway, but you've got this whole thing going down, and I'm sitting here watching the sports section over here. And then I then I go over, and a lot of you probably remember the next section of books, which was which was the choose your own adventure books. Do you remember those books? Oh my goodness! I would just sit there all day long and look at those, and I'd try to cheat and find the best ending to the story so I could get there, so I wouldn't die. You know, I don't know what that was, right? I was just so competitive. I even wanted to win at choose your own adventure books or something like that. And so it's like I just love these books. But the third book was that I was always drawn to was the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, I thought that was interesting that Kim was having you go around and share some interesting thing about, your, about yourself or something great or I don't, whatever that whole thing was. I thought, my gosh, basically what she's talking about is the Guinness Book of World Records type stuff, things that just set you apart from everybody else that makes you special or maybe a little bit strange, who knows, right? There's something that you can do with your ears, your eyes. I don't know what it was. Like, they even had, like, there's a one in the Guinness Book. There's actually one, the guy who can pop his eyes out the furthest. Have you ever seen that? That's just a little gross. I'm not going to lie, right? But I came up with some of the things that, that always fascinated me, and they always dealt with human beings, about people themselves, right? One of those, the, the, the first one, this is a really kind of, depending on who you are, it's a little bit gross to me, is the woman with the longest fingernails. Have you ever seen that? Her name's Lee Redmond. She's from America. I wish she wasn't, kind of. But she's got these long fingernails, right? And her longest nail is her thumbnail, which was 2 feet 11 inches long. Just let that sink in real quick, right? Two, could you imagine walking around all day long with these long two feet? I mean, it's just amazing. So you get Lee Redmond, 2 feet 11 inches, right? Now, the oldest person to ever live, I thought this was fascinating, at least in non-biblical times, right? In the biblical times, they lived like 700 years old or something. But the oldest person in non-biblical times, 122 year and 164 days old. Now, she's lived during our lifetime, and she actually met Vincent Van Gogh back in the day, and she thought she said that he was a dirty old man. 
I don't know what that's saying, but right? But she, and she said, listen, this, I thought this was great. Her, like they asked her, what's your recipe for, you know, old age? And she says, oh, it's very simple. A glass of wine a day, cigarettes, and olive oil. Fantastic, right? So I've started that every day. It's kind of a ritual I'm in now. No, seriously, though, it's like you've got this crazy, this is woman, it's amazing, 122 years old. All right, now, now, ladies, <clears throat> I'm going to say this, but this is not what I want you to do, all right? You have this woman with the smallest waist. Have you ever seen a picture of her? Her waist is the size of a mayonnaise jar. Now, isn't that strange? Her body is a normal upper body size. Her lower body is a lower body size. But ladies, don't attempt this at home, right? It's just, oh, my gosh. I look at that. I'm like, this is, it's a little strange. I'm not going to call it gross because we're in this Lent season. We'll talk about somebody, right? So it's like, I, but it's just a little bit different, right? But don't, 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 don't do that yourself. Right. Now, here's the other thing. This one's kind of gross. This one's kind of gross. In, in Madurai, India, there is a man who has the world's longest ear hair. Seven, what is it? Seven point twelve right there. Seven seven point twelve inches long. Now guys, you don't attempt this at home, okay? This is not attractive either, alright? It's kind of gross. Seven point twelve inches long. Now, now out of all of these things, these are kind of amazing, kind of gross. You can definitely take it down now. Alright. The two that I was always drawn to. That I, and especially one of them that always just fascinated me was the world's shortest man, but also the world's tallest man. Have you ever seen a picture of the world's tallest man? His name is Robert Wadlow. He's from the States. He was 8 feet and 11 inches tall at his, at his tallest moment. 8 feet and 11 inches tall. Obviously just 1 inch shy of nine feet tall, like a modern-day Goliath, wasn't he? Nine feet tall. And if you've ever been to a Ripley's Museum, you ever been to Ripley's, believe it or not, Museum, they have one in Orlando. It's where we lived for a while. We went one day with our girls, and we walk in, you walk in through, and it has all this weird and crazy stuff, right? But you walk into this room, and there literally is this life-size bust, basically, from top to bottom, head to toe of Robert Wadlow. And listen, the first thing, I, the, the, the first thing that I felt when I walked in, was small, right? This, it was just, he was huge. He was enormous, almost nine feet tall. And think about his feet and his hands. I mean, he was just massive. But then you do a comparison to the world's shortest man who actually is living today, was born in 1989 in Mongolia. His name is He Ping Ping. He Ping Ping is two feet, two feet, was it, two feet five inches tall. Two feet, five inches tall, which makes him, what is that, 20, 29 inches tall? Listen, my daughter was 21 inches tall when she was born, 20 inches long when she was born. 21 inches compared to 29 inches tall. Show that picture real quick. I want you to see a picture. That's him right there on the right. Now, the guy on the left is the world's tallest man right now. I think he's only, I think he's only 7 feet 11 inches or something like that, right? Pretty short, or 8 feet 2, something like that. But, yeah, look at him. He's just... This small little man, he was actually, he made his popularity on some sort of uh, Japanese game show uh, back a few years ago. That's kind of how he found his popularity. Now, why are we talking about Guinness Book of World Records? And why are we even doing a comparison here between the world's tallest man and the world's shortest man? Well, it's pretty simple. When Jesus comes in in Mark chapter 4, he begins to do a comparison in the kingdom of God in which there's this great disparity between something small compared to something great. 
And when we look at this picture here and we compare Robert Wadlow in his size and we see a he ping ping who basically is almost a little bit bigger than Robert Wadlow's foot, we get this unbelievable disparity between something that is huge and something that is small and recognizing they both had the same origin, right? Their mother's womb when they were born as babies. With that, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Because what I want you to see is this whole origin thing. Where we come from, what it looks like. And and the disparity between something small and something large. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30, going to 32, it says, Jesus speaking again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Now, practically speaking, the mustard seed was not actually, isn't actually the world's smallest seed. But as it related to the day, it was the smallest seed that was cultivated during Jesus' time. And my guess is, I don't really know this for sure, but I'm just guessing... When he looked out upon his crowd, you know, Jesus always spoke parables and stories that connected with the people who were there. And my guess is there was a bunch of farmers who were there. And he was trying to speak a language that they understood, right? Jesus was always culturally relevant to the people that he was speaking to. He's looking out and he sees farmer Joe out there and says, let me tell you a parable, Joe, about the mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed is one twentieth of an inch in size, right? Probably about the size maybe of a BB, maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. I don't really know. Don't hold me to that. But it's like it's about the size of a BB from the pictures that I've seen. But when you plant this seed, it would literally grow into a tree that was about 10 feet in height. 10 feet in height. So from something really, really small, Jesus is saying, something, something large of 10 feet could be produced. You see the comparison here, right? This little he ping ping versus the Robert Wadlow inside. They come from the same place, but boom, look what can happen. This huge, massive tree is birthed. And here is where we begin to see the understanding of the parable, the kingdom parable, the kingdom understanding that Jesus is trying to get at. And here's what I want you to focus on this morning. Here's the primary theme we're trying to get at is simply this. From something small and insignificant, from something small and insignificant, something large and significant can be produced. From something small, Something insignificant, something large and significant can be produced. This is the message of Jesus and the message of the mustard seed. Now I want you to think about Jesus' own life. I want you to think about his life. He was the, the one who he presented himself as the Messiah, the king who was to come to rule over all of the Jewish nation. And everyone looked at him and they said, isn't? This just Joseph's son? Right? All of his neighbors, all these people who grew up with Jesus, look at him and say, isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this just the carpenter? Think about Nathaniel who became a follower of Jesus. Look at him and said, can anything really good ever come out of Nazareth? Basically saying, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously, this guy thinks he's something special. And he's from Nazareth. Even Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, 32 and 33, basically said, I only knew that Jesus was the Messiah once I saw a dove or the Spirit come out of heaven like a dove and descend upon him. 
basically what he's saying is there was nothing in the first 30 years of our lives together as family that ever presented itself of me thinking that Jesus could actually be something special, could actually be the Messiah, could actually be the king. And we even know further on in John, it says that John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask, Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect another? John the Baptist still wasn't sold on Jesus actually being the Messiah. This is crazy to think about that. Basically, everyone around him begins to question, are you serious, Jesus? But we see in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus pulls the scroll out from Isaiah 61, and he reads this messianic prophecy that every single person who was listening had heard this prophecy, and Jesus basically said, boom, that's me. And they're all looking at him. Because for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, guess what he did? A whole lot of nothing. He did a whole lot of nothing. There was nothing about Jesus' life that necessarily separated him to actually be one who could come now and state, listen, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ, the King who was to come, the King that you were expecting is going to set everyone free. Listen, when he says that, all of these, these older women who had basically watched Jesus grow up are saying, isn't that the same boy that we burped back a long time ago? Right? Didn't we change his diapers? And all of his little buddies are running around saying, man, we remember him. He was running around had really bad acne. Remember that? Right? We were picking on him, making fun of him. And remember, we'd run through the fields together and play our games that we play as kids. And they're saying, are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure? Because there is nothing messianic about you. There is nothing special about you. In fact, you are pretty small and insignificant. And Jesus is saying, exactly. For that is the message of the kingdom parable of the mustard seed from something insignificant and small. Jesus is describing his own life this way. From something insignificant and small, something great and significant is produced. This is the message of the kingdom. But when we talk about the message of the kingdom today, right? This is all three of David and Tom and I are all speaking in different parables. I think David spoke last week. Do you remember what the parable was? Quick test. Someone tell me. Oh my gosh, come on. Was it the sower? Is that right? Y'all remember that now? Kicking. Come on, y'all. No. So anyway, but David did a, I don't know what it was. I forget. All right, so David did a, a parable of the kingdom, right? Now we talk about the kingdom. I'm not sure David defined it for you last week. He probably did a better job than I could ever do. But here's what, here's what I'm saying this morning. When we talk about the kingdom, what is the kingdom? I would simply say the kingdom is this. Jesus breaking into earth to do whatever he wants to do when he wants to do it because he's God. Jesus breaking into earth to do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do because he is God. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything that happens is God's will. When Jesus broke into earth, he says, now I want my will to be done here. What is that? Well, we've seen it before, haven't we? We've seen it where he says, I want to come and I want to set people free and I want to bring salvation to their lives, right? I want to heal them. I want to restore them. 
those who are broken. I want to make them whole. That's the message of the kingdom. Jesus coming to earth and doing what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. But guess who gets to carry the message? Guess who gets to be the proclaimers and the carriers of this message? The ones who express it in their life. The church. Guess who the church is? You. And it's me. We get to be the ones who carry the message of the kingdom and who get to express it. It's been entrusted to us. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking about the end of times and all that must take place before his self-proclaimed return. And in verse, verse 14, it says this. This gospel, the good news, this is good news, y'all. Don't forget, the gospel is good news. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony, as a story, right, of Jesus to all the nations. And then the end will come. Guess who gets to do the preaching? You and me. We are the proclaimers and the carriers of the kingdom. And then what does it look like when we flesh out the kingdom on a daily basis? We see it in the message Jesus shared with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 or in Luke chapter 9 also where he says, verse 7, as you go, who's going? You. Preach this message. Speak it. Proclaim it without fear. The kingdom of heaven is near. Because guess what? Guess who has it? You. So it's near in you, right? The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. For freely you have received, you need to freely give it. Jesus has poured it into your life. Think about all of you here this morning. And you hear that message and you think, well, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've never even seen leprosy. Listen, what Jesus is naming are the things that defined cultural separation between the broken and the hurting in the church of his day. He said there are those who would never darken the doorstep of the temple because they are considered unclean, dirty, separated from God. He's saying, I want you to go to them. In fact, you are carrying that message of the kingdom and you get to express the things that I do. Let's listen. That's the message of the kingdom is that you get to go and do the things that Jesus did. Do you still believe or do you believe you still can do the things that Jesus did? Or have you given that job to somebody else? You are the proclaimers and the carriers and the expression of God's kingdom every day of your life. But here's the tension that most of us face. You feel too small or insignificant to actually do it. Listen, as a, I sit down all day long with people and all they ever do, all they ever do is tell me how small they are. They tell me about their fears, the things that paralyze them, their worries, their disappointments. They tell me about their bad decisions. They tell me about their regrets from their past. They tell me about their addictions or the sin that they continually wrestle with again and again and again and again. And in so many words, what they are telling me is this, Steve, I am too small and insignificant 
to be used by God to do anything of greatness. Yes, I believe that someone else, and they would name probably all of you in this room, yes, so-and-so over here, now they can do great things, but man, I just know my life, and I know the broken places, I know the insignificance, I know how small I am. They have a he-ping-ping complex about themselves. That when they see themselves, they see themselves as small and as insignificant, and they basically are telling me why they have been disqualified for doing great things for the kingdom as being the carriers of the message of the greatness and of the love of Jesus. And they tell me all of these things. So here's where we stop this morning for a second. Press pause and I ask you this question. What are the small things in your life? What are the things that make you small and insignificant? If I were to come to you and say, God wants to do great things in your life, what does that little, that little person that steps out, that little voice inside of you tell you about yourself? Well, if you just knew. If you just knew this or what I've done or what's happened in my life, I'm just not real sure. Just think about it. Seriously, take a second. Just real quick. Name it. What are the things in your life that make you feel small and insignificant. And it's the parable of the mustard seed then that has to be spoken into our lives. For from small and insignificant things, God can do great and significant things in you. One of, my, one of the, the, the couple of the, the movies that my girls have really gotten into and I over the last few years, is the Chronicles of Narnia. Have you guys seen some of these? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. At least read the books. I love it. I, I remember back in college, I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for the first time. I, we, I didn't grow up in a Christian. Well, I, my family was a Christian home for after a while, but we didn't read those kind of books together. My parents didn't know anything about them. A lot of you probably grew up reading these books, and, and they're really profound. But I'll never forget, I was 23 years old. I was leading a mission trip to Venezuela, and I, that's the only book I took was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And as I read it, this expression of Jesus and the character of Aslan, man, it wrecked me. It wrecked me. I mean, literally, I'm reading this going, oh, my gosh, I've never understood in such a full way this person of Jesus. It's from a fictional book, right? It's like it's unbelievable in this character of Aslan, this Lion King who is compassionate and caring and who is not tame and who is incredibly dangerous. All at the same time, a great picture that we should fear him but out of respect, but we love him and his compassion for us, right? This is Aslan, this lion character. And it's like, oh, I'm undone by it. Jesus, Aslan, whatever. It's like this is this beautiful picture. So the line, the witch in the wardrobe, I'm sitting there watching this movie and I'm like in tears and part of it going, oh my gosh, I'm a complete idiot, right? Watching this kid's movie and I'm in tears because of Aslan, the power, his love, whatever it may be. So then you get in the movie, The Prince Caspian. Have you seen that one? Most recent one that came out. You probably read the books. Now, so in the story, you know that there are brothers and sisters, there's four of them, and Lucy, Lucy is the smallest, she's the youngest of, out of all of them, right? And in the story of Prince Caspian, they get into, into Narnia, this magic land, and they're walking around. And basically what happens is this. No one ever listens to poor little Lucy, right? She is the small and insignificant character. They pacify her going, oh, yeah, and pat her on the back. You've ever done this to somebody? Oh, that is so great. Oh, my gosh, what an idiot, right? And they're sitting there doing the whole thing. And, and you've got little Lucy, and they're walking around. Every now and then, Aslan would reveal himself to Lucy. And, and, and she would say, Aslan's over here, let's go this way. And they're like, oh, 
little Lucy, she's an idiot. Don't follow her, right? And they never do, all right? Finally get to this point in the movie where, where you got the Narnians being led by these brothers and sisters, and you got this human army over here, and they're at odds. And they finally say, we need Aslan's help. Lucy, just go and find him. And so Lucy goes, and she finds him. There's this great interaction, right? It's just a great moment. This always chokes me up with tears every time I watch it, literally. If I'm preparing for this message, I'll watch the scene over and over again in the movie, and every time I'm, like, choking up, I'm like, this is, I'm an idiot, right? But it's like doing this whole thing and watching, and, and she connects, and she says, listen, Aslan, will you come and fight for us? Will you come and fight with us? And he says, of course I will. And then you have this beautiful scene where she's riding on his back, right? What a cool thing, riding on the back of a lion. That'd be pretty awesome. But anyway, so they're riding down through, and they get to this point, finally, where the Narnian army has been driven to the river. And the river is here, the human army is here, the Narnian army is here. And over here on the other side, you see little Lucy. Little Lucy walks up and she has this cloak on, right? And I love this scene. She, she um, comes out, in the end of the, out on the end of the, the bridge and you see her and she does this. And she takes out her little five-inch dagger and holds it up, daring them, daring them without fear to cross the bridge. And so this human leader of the army, he, he looks across at her, looks back at this mighty, vast army full of giants and centaurs and whatever else is in this movie. I don't really know. Freaky things that would scare me out to death. And he's like, no-brainer. Going to take off across the bridge. And just as he like roars to, the, to his army to, take, to go across, Aslan just walks up and just stands beside her. Everything's changed. But she knew all along what was going on, didn't she? She knew, hey, I know how I've been treated. I know I'm small and insignificant in the eyes of my brothers and sisters. I know everyone's looked at me, kind of said, you have no idea what you're talking about. But I've got Aslan. And they take off across the bridge, this human army, and all of a sudden he lets out a roar that makes the entire earth shake. It's one of those cries that everyone hears. I won't spoil the end of the movie, but let's just say Aslan, his business is taken care of with the human army. All right? But the scene in that moment was simply as I, as I watched little Lucy in her smallness, in her insignificance, at least in physical, inside of her. She's a Robert Wadlow. This massive person to be feared. Why? Because she knew with Aslan by her side, she was dangerous. She had embraced the parable of the mustard seed from small and insignificant things, empowered by God, connected to the Holy Spirit, moving with Jesus. Great and significant things can be produced. That's the message of the mustard seed. It's the parable for us that Jesus is speaking as he talks about from small and insignificant things, great and powerful and mighty and majestic things can be produced as he looks at the carriers of his kingdom and says the kingdom of God is for the small and insignificant. For when they take the message empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's as if people may see them as those with a little five-inch dagger, but as the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, you will do powerful and mighty things. Luke 10 says that when the 72 came back after being empowered, it says, even the demons submit to us in your name, Jesus. Even the demons submit. They were amazed at how God had used 
them. All of you know from Scripture that it is through broken and insignificant people that God always brings His kingdom. Think about it. Now, the story of Gideon. Gideon was this little hundred-pound weakling who was afraid of everything. He says he was the smallest in his family, and his family was the smallest clan in all of the clans, right? He is a nobody. He's one of those hundred-pound wimpy kids you go up to and you push them like that, and they fall down and go, ow, that hurt me, right? That's, this, that's Gideon, and God looks at him and says, you great and mighty warrior. And everyone goes, are you for sure? Are you serious? Because we know, we know Gideon. We know who he is. Are you for sure? Seriously? We know the story of, of David, I think it's so funny that David's own father never even really thought about him as being someone who could be a king, right? The prophet comes and says, hey, bring all of your sons. He doesn't even think about David. Brings all of these sons through. The prophet's going, no, it's not even, no, no, not them. They're too big. They're too great. They're too powerful. They're too smart, right? We need somebody else a little smaller and insignificant. Well, he goes, well, there actually is a little, a little kid out there who's like watching the sheep out there. But there's no way. And the prophet says, bring him. David comes through. The story, David becomes a great and mighty and powerful king. We know the story of Moses. Moses was a stutterer and a murderer. Great pick, Jesus, uh, you know, for someone to be to come and save the whole Israelite nation, right? Perfect choice. Got all the disciples, they're great picks. They're a bunch of ignorant guys who are just fishermen. Listen, I'm a fisherman, I'm ignorant, right? I'm a complete fool, right? You've got all these zealous who are basically just those modern-day terrorists, great candidates to bring the kingdom. You've got these tax, tax collectors who are basically extortionists, right? Stealing money from their own family, basically. Great choice, God. Then you've got Saul slash Paul. I mean, no greater person to be used by God than someone who's actually killing Christians. Awesome. The perfect, perfect candidate to be used to bring the kingdom. Awesome, God. I mean, perfect choice. That's who I would have picked any day, right? He's great. No, he's sitting around killing people. How small and insignificant does that seem? Or just completely awful and terrible in our own eyes. But God says, man, he's perfect. They are perfect candidates in their insignificance and in their smallness to be used to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, this morning, all of you are in some place able to name the small, insignificant things in your life that if I were to say, God wants you to do great and mighty things, you would protest and throw out some reason that disqualifies you and makes you small. All of you. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning. What does the mustard seed reality mean for you? Number one is this. No one, no one is disqualified. Hear that. No matter where you've been, where you are, or even where you think that you were going. No one is disqualified for being used by God, to be empowered by God to do significant things. No one is disqualified. The second thing is this. Do you feel small? Well, then you're a prime candidate. That's the message of the mustard seed. Do you feel small? Then you are a prime candidate to be used of God. Now, obviously, you can't continue to walk in in sin, you can't continue to walk in separation from God. You have to, that's why Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Basically what he's saying is, listen, the power and the goodness and the love of God is about to be poured out into all of creation. But some of you are going the exact opposite direction of that love. Turn so it can just nail you head, 
Just face first, right? Head on. Sometimes you just got to turn towards him, which is the third piece. Get ready. That's the third thing. Just get ready. Set your gaze and your affection on Jesus. Set your gaze every day of your life. Listen, there is no separation between the sacred and the secular. What What I mean by that. There is no separation between your church life and your business life. Your church life and your family life. They are all intertwined. Who you are here is who you're called to be every day of your life. There is no such thing as a business decision. Every decision that you make is a kingdom decision. Everything that you do. And so when you live your life, everything that you do has power for significance in bringing the kingdom of God no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing. All of you are able to go like this. Alright, come on, Aslan. Right here, right? Walk up, Jesus. Empower me to do the great things of your kingdom. Why? Because you are the carriers, the protectors, and the expression of the kingdom every day of your life. And Jesus says this morning, the parable of the mustard seed, yes, it's an it's a expression of the reality of what the kingdom is in me. My, I did absolutely nothing for 30 years. But look what happened through me and my testimony to all of you is the mustard seed is also for you. In your small and ins- smallness and insignificance, something great and significant can be produced as you carry the kingdom every day of your life. That's the word for you. So we're going to do this morning. We're going to take some time of ministry, and and uh, Bo, you can come forward, and and we're going to pray. And you know, and I would say this that as we talk about the Connect Conference and. It is going to be a lot of fun. I know Michelle back here has been really uh, integral in, in putting this together. And it is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. And in this time, we're going to talk about what does it look like as a, a network of churches, a group of churches who only have a common vision of community transformation, working together to do these things. But I would say the point this message this morning is that to, be, to go into that conference saying, God, I am one of those who can bring the kingdom. And as we step in, we connect with family and church family, and we have a good time together. The goal of our time together in that weekend is to say, now, how can we be empowered to bring this kingdom wherever we go? This morning, I want you to go ahead and stand. And the ministry team, I don't know who you are, but you can come forward. And, and all we're gonna, simply going to do is this. There are some of you who, who named your smallness, your insignificance this morning. Some of you feel stuck in that. We, want some, we just want, how I always view ministry time is simply this. When I walk through my life, there are times when I need people to simply come along, hold me up, and walk with me. That's all ministry time is. It's just I'm getting together with this person because I can't. I'm having a hard time walking in my own strength. They're going to come alongside of me, put their arm around me, and walk through, walk through this with me. They're going to pray with me and pray that God's kingdom would come and his love would be expressed. So that's what we're going to do. If there's a smallness or an insignificance in your life that you're wrestling with or something that you're, that's there, we just, want, we just want someone to come alongside and, and pray with you in that. Or anything else you may have that you're just struggling with, you come forward and let's pray for you that God would move. So, Father, we, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We praise you for the, and thank you for the message of the kingdom, the parable seed, Father, that, that, that this mustard seed parable that, Lord, through small and insignificant things, you will do great and significant things, Lord. Simply as we set our gaze upon you and fall in love with you.
And this morning, God, as I look around the room, God, I just sense, God, the weight of some of these things that people are carrying. The insignificance of their own lives. And Lord, I want to pray this morning that you would come, that you would speak truth where they've believed lies. That you would move in their lives this morning, that you would set them free. God, not just to do great things for you, but God, to fall madly in love with you. That's what it is, God. We are set free to fall madly in love with you, and then we fall in love with you. Everything else just follows along with it. The greatest thing we could do, Lord, is to fall in love with you. And I pray this morning, God, you would remove every obstacle and barrier that keeps that from happening. We pray this in your name. Come. Amen. Come forward as you feel led.